everyone, you're listening to Bionic Bug Podcast with fiction author and national security expert Natasha Bajma. Join me as I discuss the latest news about emerging technology, read chapters from Bionic Bug, and explore the real-life technologies featured in my novel. We'll discuss where fiction meets reality in the future. Hey everyone, welcome back to Bionic Bug Podcast. You are listening to episode number 37. This is your host, Natasha Bajma, fiction author, futurist, and national security expert. I'm recording this episode on January 6, 2019. Happy New Year, everyone. I hope this year is full of promise and many good things for all of you. For the past three years, I've spent the end of the year reflecting on what I've achieved as an indie author. I also set my publishing goals for the coming year. My first of two blog posts is up on my blog. Um, The first is entitled, Sowing the Seeds for Your Writer's Journey, and takes a look at how I met my writing goals in 2018. I'll include the link to the show notes, and soon I should have the second post finished. We are nearing the end of this podcast with five more episodes left to go. If you enjoy following my writer's journey and listening to me discuss technology, you'll be relieved to know that I am launching a new podcast in March of 2019 called The Authors of Mass Destruction. It'll be a bit different in theme, although I will be talking about technology. For this podcast, I'll be helping authors get the technical details right on weapons of mass destruction and emerging technology. I'll feature interviews from subject matter experts and authors who write on these issues. Um, The reason I'm doing this podcast is I firmly believe that we can use fiction to generate awareness among the public about technology issues uh, to shape our future to come. Okay, let's talk tech. Only one headline for this week, but it is an interesting one. Sequencing the DNA of newborns uncovered hidden disease risks and a whole lot of tricky issues, published on gizmodo.com on January 3. In the not-too-distant future, it will be possible to get a readout of a person's genetics with ease, even right after they're born. Many children are born with genetic conditions that can't be found with current screening. So what will this mean, so this genetic mapping at birth, what will this mean for the practice of medicine? How will this information change society? How will it change how we think about genetic tinkering? Um, Well, there was a study done by doctors and researchers at the Brigham Women's Hospital in Boston and the Boston Children's Hospital, both in Massachusetts. They began a trial in 2015 that would test uh, how practical and useful sequencing could be if it were done on newborns. And they called this project the Baby Sec Project. If you want to read more, the study was published in the American Journal of Human Genetics. So let's talk about the study. More than 300 families volunteered for the project. They were randomly assigned to two groups. Those in the control group got the usual sort of care, um, standard genetic screening for newborns, genetic counseling for caretakers with a family history of genetic disease. Newborns in the second group would get all of that plus have their DNA sequenced in whole. So complete DNA genetic mapping. 159 babies received the genetic sequencing. 15 of those, so that's 9.4%, were found to have mutations that raised their risk of health conditions um, before that would turn up before they turned 18. None of them uh, were anticipated to have a risk based on their family or cl- clinical histories. Okay, so this is big. So in the past, we used to look at our family or clinical histories to determine what our potential health risk would be the future for the future. And 
15 out of 159 babies had potential risks that showed up on DNA mapping. The team was allowed to tell families only about mutations known to raise childhood genetic conditions, but it's also possible to spot mutations that raise the risk of conditions that could pop up during adulthood. Um, but they didn't tell the parents about those potential conditions. Of the 85 families who consented to having information disclosed, three newborns had mutations that could develop into conditions in adulthood. And when the parents of these children were also tested, they were found to have the same mutations. So this is very interesting. Let's consider the implications. So first, the study shows that DNA mapping at birth is superior to other screening in detecting potential health problems into the future. Having this knowledge from the outset will allow us to change our behaviors and potentially prevent such conditions from developing. But also it's important to remember that DNA is not destiny. Many of these genetic conditions are recessive, meaning that people carry only one copy of the gene, so from one parent, not both parents, and therefore don't develop the condition. Instead, they carry it into future generations. Second, um, genetic conditions are inherited, often inherited. You can develop them um, based on your lifestyle and environmental factors, um, but they're often inherited. And so if you think about that, if we begin mapping newborns, um, we'll be able to see a genetic picture that relates to more than just the newborn, but the entire family. So the question is, will we look at medical treatment as not just treating an individual, but an entire family moving into the future? Third, um, in the future, we'll be receiving customized treatments based on our genetic uh, makeup. So I think in our lifetime, we will all have our DNA mapped to look at the potential source of symptoms that we're currently facing because there will also be treatments available to us that are customized based on that particular gene mutation. And this is what we refer to today as precision medicine. Very exciting prospect for improving our health in the future. Fourth, um, such findings about potential health risks in the future could lead to discrimination uh, for jobs, for health insurance. These issues are um, covered in the movie Gattaca. Uh, very interesting, higher health premiums. But also I'm wondering if um, knowing about all of this stuff in advance might lead to relaxed ethical standards when it comes to gene editing, in particular germline editing or basically the creation of designer babies, being able to pick out all of your traits and prevent undesirable traits from, from taking place. Um, just, just food for thought. So what will happen in the future? Well, I predict that DNA mapping will become standard practice in developed countries when the cost come down is still quite expensive. Um, so it probably won't be done by everybody, but if you have money, I'm sure you can get it done. But it's really, really important to remember that DNA is not destiny. Whatever we find in our DNA does not mean that it's not absolute. Um, how we live our lives, what things we're exposed to in the environment um, are major factors. But I also think that knowledge is power. Um, if you're able to know some of these things in advance, um, able to treat some of these things in advance, we could see a major jump in uh, health, uh, human health uh, in the future. And that is really exciting. Uh, for once, I'm not doom and gloom. Yay, yay for that. Okay, let's turn to bionic bug. Last time, Rob convened a meeting at the FBI to discuss a response to Fiddler's plan. They put all the pieces in place to prevent him from killing thousands of people. So let's find out what happens next.
Chapter 37 The Plague Sitting in the front seat of the FBI cruiser, Lara clenched her wearable smartphone with her sweaty hands, still uncomfortable wearing it on her wrist. She kept glancing at the screen, hoping to get more information about Vic. Since Fiddler's ominous text, she hadn't received any further communication. Lara wondered what the mad scientist would ask of her in exchange for Vic's safe return. She'd never forgive herself if something happened to him. Throughout the night, Lara and Rob had done everything they could to figure out Fiddler and Vic's whereabouts, but they had turned up nothing. Rob traced Fiddler's text to a burner phone that had been disposed of near the scientist's laboratory in Silver Spring. Lara presumed Fiddler had returned to his lab, discovered her escape, and took his revenge by snatching Vic as insurance. They checked his lab again, but it was empty. In a last-ditch effort, Lara and Rob even stopped by Sully's townhouse again to see if Fiddler was hiding out there. Where are you, Fiddler? Lara closed her eyes. She recounted in her mind a checklist of what they knew. In the middle of the night, the FBI evidence team delivered a report on their search of Fiddler's laboratory. They turned up a few things of interest. For one, the beetle farm was empty. Fiddler must have rounded up all of his beetles for the attack after he had put Lara in the tank. They also found a mysterious stockpile of lancets used for diabetes blood tests and tiny pen needles used for insulin injection. Perhaps Fiddler is a diabetic? In Fiddler's office next to the laboratory, the evidence team found a fish tank with two small golden frogs hopping around inside. Lara suspected they were the same kind of frog she'd seen in a large picture hanging on the wall in Fiddler's lab. The agents were not able to identify the species and sent the frogs to the FBI laboratory for identification. Are the frogs related to the pending attack? By now, Lara realized Fiddler was a strange and unpredictable man, deeply fascinated by living creatures that could cause death. The simplest explanation was usually the best one. Maybe the frogs were his pets. The FBI cruiser raced toward Fort Meade at high speed with its flashers on and sirens wailing. Inside the vehicle, the silence was deafening. While Rob focused intensely on the road, Justine sat in the back seat, preoccupied with her tablet, the periodic clicking of her nails on the Bluetooth keyboard pricking at Lara's patience. Rob had sent Maggie to Atlanta to be their point person at the CDC. Detective Sanchez was sent to Fort Detrick to coordinate with FBI agents and first responders who were preparing for the attack. The 12-hour push packages of medical supplies had arrived at both military bases. They were ready for whatever Fiddler threw at them, as ready as they could be. Her thoughts turned to Ashton, and she shivered at the memory of the beetle swarm devouring his body. Please don't do that to Vic. She couldn't get the image of Ashton's death or his last words out of her head. Ashton said Fiddler was going to cut the heads off of the snakes. What did that mean? Lars sat up straighter as an idea popped into her head. Maybe Fiddler was planning to target the leadership of the two organizations? Lars peeked around her seat. Hey, Justine, you don't think Fiddler was going to target USAMRD commander and the NSA director, do you? Justine looked up from her tablet. Why do you ask? Remember what Ashton kept saying before he died? Justine gave her a blank look. Ashton told us Fiddler planned to cut the heads off of the snakes. Not the head of the snake. He said more than one, the heads of the snakes. Since Fiddler is targeting two different sites, I thought he might be going after the leadership of both organizations. Should we maybe warn them? 
I guess it's a possibility. Let me call the NSA and find out if the director is at Fort Meade today. Justine dialed a number on her phone. Yes, hi, Cindy. This is Justine Marsh calling. We're heading over to Fort Meade now. Yes, the FBI has already secured the perimeter. The first responders are in sight and they have the medical supplies ready. Listen, Cindy, I have a quick question. Do you know what the NSA director has on her schedule for today? A few seconds went by. Oh, really? And what is he doing over there? Lara sat on the edge of her seat while she eavesdropped on Justine's call. For several minutes, Justine listened in silence. When she got off their phone, her face paled. What? Lara asked. The NSA director is not at Fort Meade today, Justine said. Where is he? Lara asked her as her pulse sped up. At the Pentagon for a ribbon-cutting ceremony. The Secretary of Defense plans to unveil the new bioscan system designed to defend the country against any biological attacks. Lara's stomach dropped. Several defense leaders will present, be present at the ceremony, including the USAMR commander, NSA director, the secretary of the army, and the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. They're planning on demonstrating the new biodetection te- technology, which is capable of detecting threats delivered through the air in real time. He wants to cut the heads off all the snakes. Oh, fuck, Lara said. What? Rob asked. Fiddler isn't attacking Fort Meade and Fort Detrick today. He played us. I mean, me. He's going after the Pentagon. He wants to take out defense leadership at the highest level while they're demonstrating the new system for preventing bioattacks to the public. That would prove the ineffectiveness of their new system for preventing the full spectrum of bioattacks. With those maps and his big speeches, he knew we'd sent all of our resources out to Fort Detrick and Fort Meade, leaving the Pentagon exposed. Rob slammed on the brakes, pulled over to the side of the highway, and made direct eye contact. Lara, are you sure about this? She panicked for a moment. Knots formed in the pit of her stomach. Her instincts told her she was right, but she didn't have much information to go on. Except for Ashton's last words. Her chest tightened so she could barely breathe. Everything was riding on her gut instinct. Yes, Lara said, trying to sound certain. Her heart pounded in her ears. In an instant, Rob pressed his foot down on the gas, the tires squealing. As the FBI cruiser careened toward the next highway exit, the smell of burnt rubber crept into the car, making Lara even more nauseous. Text Sanchez. Tell him your latest theory and ask him to stay at Fort Dietrich, just in case we're wrong. Tell him to relay the new information to all FBI agents and first responders at both sites. I want to keep all response forces in place for now. But if Fiddler's at the Pentagon, we're going to need some backup over there. Have Sanchez call my boss to send in a CERD team and coordinate with the Pentagon Force Protection Agency. Lara texted the information to the detective and received an immediate affirmative response. Looking up from her screen, Lara asked, What about the medical supplies? Shouldn't we redirect them to the Pentagon? Rob frowned. Are you even sure Fiddler will be using the plague? Lara shook her head. Not anymore. She blanched at the thought of another miscalculation. Fiddler had manipulated her, and he'd, she'd bought his story hook, line, and sinker. But how did he know Justine would find her and set her free? Lara smacked herself in the forehead. Come to think of it, Fiddler told me when he gave me the grand tour of his laboratory that the beetles were not carrying the plague. Fiddler explained it would be too dangerous, but I didn't believe him. I'm sorry I didn't realize it sooner. What do you think he'd use instead, Justine asked. Lara racked her brain, running through all the information she'd gather on this case. Well, Sully was killed by botulinum toxin. 
Fiddler was quite impressed by the idea. You don't think he borrowed the idea of using a toxin from that, do you? It's plausible, Rob said. The plague is not the best microbe for killing people. It takes several days before an infection occurs, and it can be easily treated by antibiotics. Maybe he wanted something more effective, more dramatic. A toxin would do the trick. More effective at killing lots of people? Lara asked, in disbelief. Rob nodded. What about those frogs the FBI evidence found in Fiddler's office? Are they poisonous? Justine asked. You said they were golden. Did the frog picture look someone like this one here? She handed Lara her phone, which showed an image and profile of a golden frog from Columbia. That's identical to the picture hanging in his laboratory. At that moment, Lara recalled something she may have missed. Rob, do you remember if either of Fiddler's passports had any stamps in it? Uh, yeah, the passport under his real name had a stamp from Columbia. He made a recent trip there. Lara's jaw dropped. How recent? Before or after Sully's death? Rob furrowed his brow. After Sully's death. I didn't think of it at the time. Lara threw up her hands. I can't believe you never mentioned this. The clue was sitting in front of us the entire time. Rob shrugged his shoulders. We were so focused on finding his physical address and the Australian beetles that we didn't think of anything of it. What, what do we know about this golden frog anyway? Lara read the profile from Justine's phone. It's called a golden dart frog, and it's considered the most poisonous animal on the planet. American Indians used to dip their darts in the poison secreted from their skin. The poison was called a batrotoxin which is a neurotoxin that affects the nervous system and is highly toxic to the heart. Death usually occurs by cardiac arrest. A lethal dose is only about 140 micrograms for an average-sized person. There's no antidote for the toxin. About how much is 140 micrograms, Rob asked. About twice the width of a human hair, smaller than a pinprick, Lara said. Pinprick. The tiny needles and lancets the FBI team found came to mind. He's going to use the beetles to deliver the toxin and inject people using the tiny needles he had in the lab. He must have figured out a way to affix them to the beetles. But how much of this toxin do you think he collected? Rob asked. He only had a couple of frogs in the lab. Lara scrolled through the profile. It says here the amount of toxin in a single frog is enough to kill about 13 people. That's it? Rob asked. Do you think he found a way to get more of the toxin? Or is he only targeting defense leadership? Lara scrolled further and continued to share. Scientists were able to synthesize the toxin several years ago. They published their results online. Rob rolled his eyes. Oh, that's fantastic. Very convenient for criminals and terrorists around the world. In other words, Fiddler could have produced the toxin synthetically in mass quantities by now. It would appear so, Lara said grimly. Who knows how many people he could kill. Thanks for listening to the Bionic Bug Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. You can also support my time in producing the show with Patreon at www.patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N forward slash Natasha Bajma. See you next week.